Well, we are, uh, we're finishing up a two-week uh, series on, on simple Christianity. And, and we were thinking about this idea that, that although the Christian life is it's hard sometimes, it's difficult, it can be challenging to our, our life and our, our habits and, and our, our nature, it's not complex. Jesus, he, he breaks it down into some very simple terms. And so last week we talked about this idea that, that our primary, our foundational call is not necessarily to do this or do that or do this or do that. It's not towards deeds, it's towards a disposition toward God. Jesus says that the first command that we ought to obey is to this command to love God with what? With everything, right? He says that we are to love that our primary call is one, it's emotion, it's affection that results in action. It's not just action, and it's not just feelings. It's the combination. You know, it's not just the romance we talked about. It's not just the paying the bills. It's the romance and the paying the bills that makes the marriage work, right? And we talked about how we're loving who? We're loving God. We're loving this, this person who's revealed himself as as Lord, this word Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on wh- where you're coming from. But it's this, this idea that God is not just some sort of transcendent, distant being, but he is a God who enters into creation and he, he makes these, these covenants, these agreements that are, that are uh, they're, they're made in blood, they're made, they're, they're commitments that are made that are stronger than contracts, they're more relational than contracts. And he says, I'm making this covenant with you to be your God. He says that to, to Abraham and to Moses, and, and he says it to us. And, and this is the God that we're called to love. And then he says that we're to love God with everything, with our, with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, all of the above. If there's something that you have to offer, you should offer it to God. There's no inch of your life or my life that, that we could say, well, I'm gonna, that's for me. You know, you can't, you can't do that. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just stop there. And we're going to look today at what the rest of what Jesus says to these Pharisees. So I want everyone to stand up and we're going to read the same text we did last week. It's Matthew, if you weren't here last week, I apologize. It's Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. And we're going to read this out loud together. Um, This is one of the most important things that we can do as a congregation is to read the word of God together. To hear it in in our own voice and to hear it in the voices of those around us, to reflect on what God has to say, and then to think about how we ought to apply it, ought to apply it to our lives. Okay, let's read this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to not only pursue a a to-do list that would kind of give us a sense of righteousness in its own right, but there would be a disposition uh, appointing our lives 
toward you, that I, we would live our lives toward you in love. And Father, I pray that that love that we have for you would, would be reflected in the way that we treat other people. That, that it would be a natural expression to love other people, people we like, people we don't like, people we can relate to, people we can't relate to, because we love you. Because we love the God who first loved us. Father, help us to see how we love other people. Help us to see that we need to love other people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As I think about this situation, you can picture yourself in, in front of these Pharisees and they have tried on occasion after occasion after occasion to try and trip Jesus up in his words. They've tried to catch him saying something he shouldn't have said. They've tried to trick him into uh, admitting something that, that they could hold against him. And so Jesus responds with this, this difficult question. We talked about it last week that there, there's about 613 commandments in the Old Testament, the, the Bible that they would have been studying. And, and so to, to pick out the one particular one that is the commandment, that's, that's a tricky one to do. But he, he answers amazingly, as he does, because he's Jesus. He studied the Bible for a long time, and also he's the Son of God. So these two things together make it easy for him to answer well. Now, the thing about it is, is if I put myself in, in Jesus' position, which I sh- you know, he's Jesus, I'm not. Um, I, I think if I had managed to get this far and answer the Pharisees, I would have stopped. Right? Have you ever been in a conversation, maybe you're talking to a friend and they're asking, you know, how do I handle this life situation? And you start to give advice and then you're like, oh, this is good. I'm, I've got some wisdom here. And, 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 and you're walking down the pier of good advice and you get in there and you're, this is amazing. And then you keep walking and you realize you've said ridiculous things and the pier is gone and you're about to fall into a pit of stupidness. Right? You, you've, you've said things that have basically negated what, what you had just said, or, or you've just reached out beyond your wisdom. <laughs> in an effort to love someone, in an effort, you know, in the excitement of trying to be helpful, and, and maybe that's not in you, maybe that's not your disposition, but I'm sure that most of us have experienced this with other people where, you know, you ask a question or you don't ask a question, or, you know, you have a baby or you get married and people are like, I have advice for that. And, and you're like, well, I didn't ask, but okay. <laughs> What do you think I should do about X, Y, or Z? And, and there's some good advice, and then you enter into the territory of maybe we shouldn't have had this conversation, right? And, and so I don't think I would have responded the way that Jesus does, but it's interesting that he gives two commands. He gives two commands. Um, he, he starts with the quote from Deuteronomy 5, uh, 6, 5, you shall love the Lord. We talked about that, and he doesn't stop there. Jesus is wise and he's strategic because he's, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this wasn't physical sparring because if this was physical sparring, he wouldn't have just, you know, gotten the guy on the ground to, to yield. I mean, he would have ended this thing. You know, he, he when it came to debates, he, he dismantled his opponents. He didn't just, oh, you know, Jesus, you're smart. They walked away with the limp. And, and that's, that's what he's trying to do. He's, he's trying to take these self-righteous leaders who are trying to trick him and trying to 
to box him in or, or put him in a corner. And not only does he not end up in a corner, he ends up dismantling their, their argument and putting them in a corner. Our love for our neighbor is going to do two things. This is, this is the reason that he gives two commands. He's going to challenge their claim to being devoted to God. These Pharisees, they're saying, I am de- we're devoted to God. We do all these things. We've got this list of things that we do. We love God. And you can see that we love God by the way we live our life. And, and Jesus is going to challenge that and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge that. I don't believe that to be the case. And he's also going to highlight the fact that a real genuine love for God, if you really love God, it's going to show itself not in, in how many Bible verses you can memorize, not how long you can pray in public, not how, how, how many different ways you can tithe. Although all these things are important, but it's going to show itself in how you love other image bearers of God. If you love God, you're going to love the people who bear his image. So if, if the Pharisees had, had asked and Jesus had, had left it at, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, mind, and soul, I think the Pharisees would have walked away and said, that's, that's good advice. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You know, they, they, they were not convinced within and of themselves that they were bad people or that they, they were missing the mark. They, they thought... That, hey, have you ever had a conversation with someone and, you, and you, they, they asked you a question, but it wasn't really a question. It was a question to confirm their awesomeness. You know, is it hard for you to bench 350? I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of the angle that he's going with. Is it, is it hard for you to run a marathon? It used to be hard for me, but you know, after doing the half, mar- half Ironman, I mean, it puts things in perspective right? Or, you know, whatever your, your, your thing is. That, that's kind of the way they were approaching it. They were coming with a sense of, of self-righteousness, of I, I have a list of things that I should do, and you, and you see that? They're all checked off. I've done them. So Jesus is going to check and challenge their sense of self-righteousness. And, and if, to, to take a moment back, when we think about the word neighbor, it's fair to ask, and we didn't talk about it last week, but it's fair to ask, who's my neighbor? And, and this was a question that, that they had asked. In, in chapter 5 of Matthew, they had they'd asked, and, and that's where we get the whole uh, story of the Good Samaritan. And if you're not familiar with that story, basically they say, you know, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds by saying, okay, there are these three guys who passed by a dude who was beat up. One was like a priest, and another's a politician, and another is like a... Uh, a Samaritan, but he was basically considered an outcast in that culture. And, and it's the outcast who ends up helping and, and paying for the healing of this guy. And, and he says, who was a good neighbor in that setting? And they answer, the good Samaritan. And, and he doesn't say what, who your neighbor is. He instead says, be a good neighbor. And he basically widens the field to say that a neighbor is anyone that, that you encounter in your life. A neighbor is anyone. So they would have said, okay, it's this narrow group of people and I've been a good neighbor to this narrow group of people. And, and Jesus says, no, no, no. We're talking about image bearers of God. So we see the, self, the, the Pharisees and their self-righteous attitude. It, it, it gets so bad that if we were to continue reading in Matthew, we're in Matthew 22. If we continue to read in 23, Jesus, one, one might even say, he, he doesn't lose his temper, but he gets angry. 
He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. You, you travel across sea and land. You go on mission trips. You, you, you travel the world to make a convert. And what happens? And when he becomes a convert, a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. I mean, that's pretty strong language. You know, you're, you're going to hell. And the people that you bring, I'm not saying this to you. This is what Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees. He's, he's saying to them, you're going to hell, and the people that follow you are also going to hell. And when you convert people to your beliefs, you convert them to going to hell. And this is strong, strong language. The Pharisees had, in their self-righteousness, reduced this idea of loving God so much so that he, they had disconnected it from loving people. When, when you and I reduce our relationship to God to a to-do list with no real impact on our daily lives, we, we minimize the demand that God has on us to something that we can accomplish within and of ourselves. If, if you can do Christianity without really depending on God, you're not doing Christianity. Part, one of the primary things that, that following Christ does is it forces you to your knees and real, to realize that you can't do this. It, it's, it's this paradoxical thing. If you feel like you're succeeding, you feel like, hey, I'm doing a pretty great job. You're probably not focused on the right things. I'm not saying you aren't doing a good job. If you read your Bible today and you feel pretty good about coming to church, I don't want you to, well, I guess I'm not doing good. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. But if, if, if that is your standard, if Christianity equals reading my Bible, praying, or, or giving money, or uh, supporting the poor, any of those things, if that is all that Christianity is, all that following Jesus is, then you've reduced it to something that you can manage. And in, in effect, you have said, I am good enough. Right. See, Christianity, the whole point of Jesus coming was because we're not good enough. We can't. If, if we could do it within and of ourselves, if we could save ourselves, if you could save yourself, there would be no need for God to do it. And so Jesus is challenging their self-righteousness. God will challenge your desire to achieve righteousness by your performance. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not this, this list of holy things. Maybe it's for you, you know, I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to have a good job. I'm going to work a lot. And, and that's not a bad thing. But if, if that is the end of your righteousness, if that is what defines you, and you say, I don't need to do these other things, I'm doing these things, You've missed it. God is going to challenge that. God is going to challenge your standard of how good is good enough. And we've all been there. Amen. You know, you get, you get home and you talk to your, your, your roommate or your spouse. I'm like, at least I'm not like that guy. At work, he is crazy. Or she is a liar. Or, you know, that person is terrible. And we, we you know, like, I, you know, I've got my problems, but not like that guy. You're like, I'm not Hitler. And, and, and we, whatever the, yeah, I apologize. But whatever the, the standard is, we find someone below that standard and say, well, I'm not like that guy. God is going to challenge that. 
See, the, the Pharisees have created this kind of system where they were good enough, they had done enough, and, and they didn't need a Savior. They didn't need a Savior, quotes. And Jesus was saying, no, you guys are far off, more, more far off than you think. God will challenge our, our ideas of standards of what's good enough. God will challenge your perspective of what is foundational. And we've talked a little bit about this, deeds or disposition. Our, our natural inclination is to say, I can make it on my own. I can, I can do this on my own. I am an independent person. All the while forgetting the fact that if we stop breathing, we will die immediately. That you're not making your heart beat. You're like, I'm an independent person. I can do what I want. Unless someone does something to me that I can't change. I'm an independent person. I can do what I want, except that I'm, I'm held down by the, the laws of gravity and, and I'm here and I can't be there without running there. There are so many things that we take for granted that point to the fact that we are dependent. We live a third of our lives asleep, unconscious. Like super, super vulnerable. We're like, I'm independent. You can't stop yourself from literally going unconscious every day. Right. Or maybe just for a couple, you know, and we can try and fight it, but we're dependent. God, our, our natural inclination is to say, I can make myself good enough. Maybe it's not in these other ways. Maybe it's at work and how you define your life at work. Maybe it's, it's your relationships. You know, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. You know, I'm, I want to be considered this kind of person. But God calls us to a disposition to love the God who saves us. You know, this is not a, it's not a partnership. It's not a partnership. This is not like, hey God, we're a great team of, of making us holy. Mostly it's just God being like, come on, we gotta go. And you're like, I don't wanna go. And you're like, come on, we're going towards holiness. And you're like, no, that's what our soul is saying. We're, when we get older, we're just saying it in more, more uh, sophisticated ways. We're no longer just being like, I don't wanna do this like a baby. But in our heart, we're like, I don't want to do this. We've learned how to keep our, our, our face and, and everything that's going on here kind of still. But in our soul, there's still like this, I don't want to be dependent. God calls us to a disposition to love. And, and that it's a kind of love that is dependent. You know, in, in, um, in John chapter 1, it says, you know, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus, and the word was with God, um, and the word was God. The way that it says it in the Greek, when it says with God, it isn't just like, hey, we're, we're side by side. The word is actually, we were, he's toward God. His disposition was turned toward God. In the beginning, Jesus was toward God. And, and I, I don't mean to be pedantic or, you know, Split, uh, split hairs about, about this, but the, the idea is, is more than just we're in this with God, but, but our life is facing God. Everything we're doing is going in the direction of God. Um, this, this is the kind of love that, calls, that God calls us to, that God calls us to, there we go, English. And if we take seriously this call to love God, we, we will be faced with the hard reality that, that you and I, and I love you guys, but we're unloving people who need God in order to love others. But part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus 
loved the unloved and the unlovable so that you and I could come into a relationship with God and be renewed so that we could love the unlovable, that we could become lovable. God empowers us to love other people when we truly love God. The other part of this is that a genuine love for God, it shows itself in a love for other people. You know, if, if I was preaching this message to kids and I would say, okay, the first command to little guys and little girls is to love God with everything that you have. And the second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Someone would raise their hand and be like, how can you do that? If you love God with everything, you've got nothing left to love other people with. And that's a good question, right? And some little stickler of a kid would be like, excuse me, that's impossible. And the reality is, in one sense, yes, it is impossible. But, but the kind of love that God calls us to is a love that reflects itself in a love for other people. You know, if people love my family, that love is going to be extended to my children. Our vertical love has to have a horizontal component. You can't, you can't separate your love for your neighbor from your love from God. This is, this is why you can't not do church. Right? We, we talk about this sometimes, and you guys are, I'm preaching in the choir because you're at church, but if you've got friends, you're like, I don't need to go to church. You know, I've got this relationship with God. It's totally awesome. We go and we have mimosas together, and we, we hang out and have brunch. We don't need to go to, I mean, it's more advanced. Jesus is not, he's not, that's not the kind of, relationship with God that he's talking about. If you love God, you will love other people. And in and, and 1 John, John, he'll smack us in the face with this. Listen, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, the, the apostle John says it this way. If anyone says, I love, I love God, we hang out all the time and hates his brother, doesn't like going to church, doesn't want to hang out with those people because they've done X, Y, or Z, doesn't want to hang out with this person, doesn't he is a liar. I'm not even saying that. This is John. <laughs> the one that Jesus loved, according to John. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, it is easy to say, I love God, and create an image of God that is not God. I love the God who is totally okay with my decisions and really wants to help me succeed in becoming everything that I want to be. Right, right. Like, but the Bible's like, that's not the God that we're talking about. <laughs> like, shh, Bible, be quiet. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get away from this. I can't get away from this. I'm in the same boat as you. I'm jumping in the pool with you. There are people that are probably coming to mind right now. You'd be like, mm, that's a neighbor. Man. Who, who's that neighbor for you? You probably should make that list and start praying for them. And praying for yourself at the same time. Yes. Our love for our neighbor actually, it, it confirms our love for God. It confirms our love for God. If... if and, and think about it this way. From the outside, you come into an organization, you see people who are completely different, 
races, gender, uh, ethnicity, um, social economical situation, interests, and they love one another, you're going to be like, what's in the sauce, guys? You know, what have you guys been partaking of? And because it's so counter our natural inclination. It confirms that God is with us. You know, I, I quote this often, and it's worth memorizing. John uh, thirteen thirty-five. Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples. They, they will know that you follow me. They will know that you have encountered the God of this universe, not by your, your, your use of Greek and Hebrew, not by your, your sacrificing all your money to give to the poor, not by your prayer life, as awesome as it might be. He says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Because you can fake all those other things. Again, if you imagine a God who thinks that you're totally awesome all the time, you don't mind spending time with him and talking to him all the time. You're like, God, aren't I good? Yes, you're good. Isn't this great? Yes, this is great. You know, if if you kind of create this situation where the standard of holiness is giving all your money to the poor and you do that, you're like, I'm totally awesome. It's not hard to do these things. It is hard to love people who don't love you back. It is hard. It is hard to love people who hurt you. And I'm saying in this setting, Jesus is calling us to a kind of radical love that loves people that, yes, they are difficult to love. This does not remove the fact that people are difficult to love. This does not remove the fact that we are born into a broken world where people are sinners and they hurt us. Look, I mean, you look at the Bible. You look at Joseph. When, when it says that when Joseph, if you're not familiar with the story, Joseph is, is a the youngest brother of several brothers, and uh, he's kind of a, a brat, and he uh, is favored by his dad. Not a good situation. Don't, f- don't favor one kid over the other. Uh, his dad gives him a coat, um, and he, he has some dreams, and he tells his brothers, you know, you guys are going to bow down to me because I'm pretty awesome. And they don't like that, and, but, but they, se- they sell him into slavery, and they, they act like they killed, or they act like he died, and, and it's pretty terrible. It's a bad situation. Um, he eventually, by the grace of God, uh, comes and becomes like second command in Egypt and saves everyone. And at the end, he's talking to his brothers and the brothers are like, hey, don't kill us. You know, dad didn't want you to do that. You probably shouldn't. Um, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to do that because what you meant for evil, what do you say? God meant for good. Now, what it didn't say was God figured out a way to turn this thing around and it's now good. He, he didn't say the things that you did were good. He said that God, in his wisdom, had a plan that included your wickedness for the sake of my good. So there are people, and I understand this, some of you are hearing this and you're like, what about that person? That person, I can't forgive them. I can't, I can't extend my love to that person. They have hurt me too much. And, and I, what I'm not saying is, get over it. What God doesn't say is, get over it. What God says is, get before me and get a sense and a revelation of the kind of love that can overcome the most difficult, painful things. I mean, you think about Jesus, right? He's, he's a nice guy. 
you know, I, I can't imagine that he was, at least to the people who were following him, was a difficult guy to get along with. And yet everyone deserts him. Everyone. His best friends desert him, stab him in the back, figuratively. And, and what does he do? He, he, he loves them. He's on the cross and he's experiencing horrible torture, facing the fact that he's going to bear the wrath of God, which was something that caused him to, to sweat blood, you know, so much strain, so much concern that his capillaries were bursting. And, and what does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, that is a, that's a kind of perspective that we say, that's, that's like astronomical. That's, that's, that's impossible for us to think of. But no, that's the life that God has called us to live. The kind of life that looks at people and says, I, I can forgive and I can love you. Not because of anything in you, but because of who God is in me. Jesus challenges us to live a life that does not, does not maintain a to-do list to please God. He calls us to love others radically in a way that shows the radical salvation we have in Christ. So what should this look, love look like? I'm, I'm almost done. Our love for our neighbor should look like our love for ourselves, right? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? How do we, well, how do we love ourselves? Now, maybe you, you have a weird relationship with this and you're like, I don't love myself. I'm pretty frustrated with a lot of things about myself. But the reality is you probably also ate breakfast, and you kind of made sure that that happened. You're like, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat breakfast. You came to church and thank you, you, we're all dressed. Most of us smell nice. We took showers. You know, we, we've taken care of our basic needs. We're naturally interested in our own well-being. Right? You, you're interested in yourself succeeding, right? I'm interested in myself succeeding in life. You're not like, well, I don't care if I win or lose. No, we care. That's, that's just the nature of being a person. You care about whether or not you win or lose. And when you mess up, you're pretty, most of the time where we're pretty willing to be like, well, you know, he had a lot of things going on. You know, and we find ways not to judge ourselves, but to extend grace and mercy to ourselves. And even when we judge ourselves, we, we look for a solution. We're like, man, I really messed up. I feel guilty about this. And we look for a solution. Now imagine if you took that list of items and you, you applied that to other people. You look out for their basic needs. You're interested in their well-being and success. You see everything, you try to see things from their perspective and you withhold judgment. You grant them grace and mercy when they fail. When you see a problem in their life, you try to find a solution. Imagine if, imagine if everyone in this room loved others like that. Just, just loved the people in this room. It'd be a party. We'd, you're awesome, you're awesome. This is great, I love you. Let's hug, this is awesome. Woo! Maybe you don't hug, whatever. We don't have to hug. High five. But, but this is, that's the kind of love that he's talking about, the kind of love that extends the same grace that you would extend to yourself, the same kind of love that would extend grace that you would want extended to you. And this is the way that Jesus loved us. He fed his disciples. He fed those following him. He cared for their physical well-being. He cared for their spiritual well-being. He prayed for them, and he was interested in their success as defined by God.
and he laid down his life for them. The bar of, our, of, of loving our neighbors is set by Jesus. It's not set by us, right? You don't get to say, okay, this is what loving my neighbor looks like. It looks like giving, him, uh, giving them brownies on Easter and cookies on Christmas and inviting them to church when I feel guilty about it. Like that's not, that's not the standard of, of loving your neighbor. Jesus has given us the standard of loving our neighbor. And this is kind of radical, life-giving love that God calls us to. So what have we said today? If you love God, if you, if you really love him, that love is going to express itself in love for other people. And if it doesn't, if you're in this position today and you're like, I love God, but I really hate my neighbors. My encouragement would be to go back to God, not to be like, God, help me, but just to sit before God and to, to let him express his love to you. Because I promise you that God loves you more than you can imagine. And that, that he wants to give you a revelation of that love that motivates you to love other people. He's not, again, he's not waiting like, guys, you need to get right. No, he, he has done so much to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. His aim is to fill you up with his love. He, that's why he gave us this Holy Spirit, so we could experience, among other things, his love. <clears throat> Sorry. His, his, uh, his fatherhood, right? It's by the Holy Spirit inside of us that we can say, Daddy. Right? We don't just say, Father in heaven. You know, sometimes we think that because you're raised in, in a church that, that spoke King James our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and we have no kind of emotional connection with that. But when, when it says in Romans that by the Spirit we can say, Abba, Father, what it's saying is the Spirit enables us to experience God in such a way that we can say, Daddy, that we can feel like a child before our Father. So if you're in this room today and, and you're like, I don't, there's a lot of reasons why I don't love my neighbor. And I'm not really convinced that I should or I have to. My, my encouragement would be to go back to what God says about you, what he says about his love for you, and what he says about our responsibility to extend that love to our neighbor. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you do love us. Lord, would you, would you just do the work of pouring out your spirit on this people? Would you confirm your love for the people here, the people who are broken, who have been hurt, legitimately hurt by others, would you, would you enter into their lives and give them a picture, a revelation, a sense, an experience of your love that would, that would change their disposition towards their neighbors? Lord, help us to love in such a way that we are oriented, our life is oriented toward you, our deeds and our actions they come, but they don't come as a checklist. They come as a result of experiencing and knowing the love of God. And I pray that that would, would overflow into loving our neighbors. Some of you are in this room and, and you need to forgive. And this is not an easy or a light forgiveness. This is not a glib forgiveness. God really wants to do a work in your soul. And part of the work he wants to do in your soul is to bring freedom that comes as a result of forgiving people who have hurt you. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand and I want to pray for you. That's good. 
Just, just agree with me as I pray. Father, thank you for how you deeply forgive give me. I pray that you would give me such a revelation. Make your forgiveness so real to me that I would have the power and the strength to walk in forgiveness toward these other people. That I would be able to forgive in a way that sets down my burden and doesn't pick it back up. If you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus invites you to come. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, if we confess it with our mouth, then he, he will save us. If that's you, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you, if you want to experience this love that God has for you, if you want to f- experience the forgiveness that God has for you, um, I want you to pray this with me. God, I, I turn away from everything that, that I have tried to do to make myself right. Every standard that I've set in my own life to make myself right. And I turn to you. I see now that I am dependent and I can't do this by myself. And I accept what you did on the cross, Jesus, in my place for my sins, defeating Satan's sin and death on my behalf. Help me to live a life toward you, a disposition of love and affection that leads towards action for you. In Jesus' name, amen.